Hi, I'm Charles Martinet, and you're listening to Scene World Podcast. It's the Scene World Podcast. I'm over here. He's over there. There's things. Hello. Uh, In a minute, we have the Guru Meditation. So we're going to talk to them in just a sec. It's a long one. Bill Winter and Anthony Becker. Yes. It's a kind of a long one, so we might want to try to keep this little intro down to a manageable level. But I will not um, cut the news. Okay, no. If, If there are news. Right. Well, there are some news. Well, let's start with that then. What do we got? Well, <clears throat> so um, probably everybody remembers that we had a couple of interviews with um, 3D Realms and um, Interceptor people, Frederick Schreiber and um, Mike Nielsen. Mm-hmm. And they are also known for Bombshell and stuff. Right. And um, the Red Rogers game, the successor of Commander Keen, actually was sold to THQ Nordic uh, two years ago. Now they announced that on the 22nd of February, you can buy Red Rogers on the Switch. So it can be pre-ordered from Amazon, from Cool Shop, and a lot of other places already. It's um, at about the 26, 30 euro price range. So it's not one of the most expensive Switch games. And um, I would say you get a very good value for the money. Another news is also that um, there will be a successor of Doom, Doom Eternal, and it will also be on the on the Switch. Okay. Which is quite nice because the first Switch um, version of the first Doom was actually pretty good. I mean, you know, Bethesda um, with its software made a new Doom, mm-hmm. and that was released um, two years ago when the Switch was released. And and the uh, Switch version is pretty good, actually. Of course, the graphics are a bit scaled down, but it's fluent and uh, you can play it well. So it will be, it will be interesting to see um, how the next Doom will be on the Switch. Okay. And... Um, there's actually a third news, and that is um, Mortal Kombat 6 is going to be released, oh, okay. also on the Switch. And that's surprising, because Mortal Kombat 5 was already so realistic, and I bought it too, that you can see a lot of videos on YouTube of people puking while they play the game, because... <laughs> in their mind it's so realistic when they get when they get well you know the fatality moves at the end dang i got to check that out because that's pretty awesome <laughs> i i i'm not sure you want to watch that how people puke in front of camera no no i don't want to see the puking thing i just want to see the realism of the uh of the uh, fatalities oh, okay so there are some previews of the game and they look pretty awesome mm-hmm. and it is graphically wise a lot better than Mortal Kombat 5. So, it will be interesting to see how they want to make it possible on the Switch, because the general opinion right now is the game's graphically so advanced, it's impossible to do it on the Switch. 
Well, you can always uh, kind of downgrade it and, and turn it more into the... Because if it's already so realistic, then, you know, probably doesn't hurt to kick it back a generation or two to where it's slightly less realistic. But yeah. uh, the gameplay is still awesome. But we'll see. We'll see how it works. Well, I've got some. Okay. Um, we, we've talked to... Well, well, RGCD is one of the big uh, retro publishers. I don't even know if you'd call it a retro publisher, but they're a big publisher for yeah. the 64 and Amiga and whatnot. And they have recently released... Uh, this is at the end of January. They have um, announced that they're launching Tiger Claw and Power Glove Reloaded for the Amiga. Nice. So those are, those are ports of Tiger Claw and Power Glove, which was apparently a C64 game. Um, and it is uh, featuring uh, better graphics and sound and gameplay and whatnot. And there's going to be physical editions of both of these games with discs and manuals and buttons and stickers and all the stuff that you would normally get with that. Nice. Um, and and the uh, a CD that, that has the C64 Windows, Mac, and Linux versions as well. Nice. So that's... That's nifty to see some new stuff. You know, 2018 was sort of a banner year for for new games on the 64 and Amiga, and 2019 is, is already kicking off to a pretty good start as well, from what it looks like. And it's interesting how the Switch is now um, turning since last year into a retro platform for retro games, indie games, and successor of former retro IPs. Yeah. There was also... Yeah. Um, as of January 30th, um, evidently photos and video of the fully um, fully assembled ZX Spectrum Next uh, was released, um, showing that it's an actual real thing. I think it's different. It's not the same thing as the the Vega because <laughs> you know that was a disaster, but um, the Spectrum Next is a real thing. There's actual footage of it existing and and being there so that's that's nifty if you're into that sort of thing and also <clears throat> did you see the news about this is probably again in january um that a prototype c65 for schools was discovered in somebody's drawer yes yes that that amazes me that still it's 2019 and we're still finding stuff like that and and so this is a C65 that obviously the C65 was never released and it was it only existed in prototype stages but this is a chopped down version so it's it doesn't have the floppy drive built in it's just a keyboard and i think it's missing some of the ports the the mm -hmm. the main board seems to be much smaller and doesn't have all the expansion options cuz it was meant to be in schools i guess but considering the fact that the C65 was sort of like a dead-end project to begin with, it's really it sh kind of shocks me that they went through the process of like having the plastic molds made to make this prototype of the educated uh, education version. I'm not seeing where that that new one was found. Oh, we'll we'll put a link to it in here so that people can can hit it up. Um, evidently, it was revealed by Fred Bowen who is one of the, the, the designers, the software guys at, at Commodore, or was one of the software guys at Commodore. Um, little's known of it at this point, but externally it's a C65 with the drive section chopped off. On the back there's a DB25 female that could be a serial port, and a DB15 that could be RGB output, maybe Ethernet. 
Uh, on the side of the same ports is a 65 power, two joysticks, and a reset. Um, there's two big sockets on the main board for custom chips, and we don't know what they are exactly. There is no smaller square socket for the floppy drive controller chip, since because, because there's no drive. There's an expansion port that looks the same as the 65s, but there's no cutout for it. No internal trapdoor expansion. So it's it's really a, a chopped down little uh, little version of it. That was that's literally like the picture of it is in a drawer in someone's living room. And so you got to wonder, like, here's one. I would, there had, had there had to have been more than one of these things that existed. And where are they? Nice. I have dreams about like walking into like a random empty building and discovering it was like a Commodore warehouse and finding these things in a back room somewhere. But I don't know if that'll ever happen. If that's if that's a thing that could happen. And you know, um, there are a lot of things about Commodore. Even people working at Commodore <laughs> didn't know. Yeah, right. So I actually found I that, that. Um, EA did two announcements. One, one is making um, expansion packs for already released Red Alert. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tiberian Sun, it seems. No, Tiberian Dawn. And there will be a spin-off of a Command and Conquer game this um, year, it hmm. seems. Interesting. A spin-off. Yeah. Conquer and Command. Or was that... Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, that spin-off was <coughs> old. <coughs> oh. Old news. Okay, so pretend, pretend we didn't say that. Okay, yeah. So, um, remastering. Yeah, for the 25th anniversary in 2020. Yeah. So that's pretty nifty. Yeah, but but honestly, why not making a successor? Because, I I don't know. I don't know. Well, because there's no, you know, you see it in TV and you see it in movies and you see it in, uh, there's, nobody's going for new stuff anymore. It's like, let's, Let's squeeze as much as we can out of what already exists. So here's a game that's been, it's 25 years in 2020. Let's just remaster it and sell it again rather than make something new. Well, I second, I, I, I don't think I would second that because um, Mount and Conquer was always a success. Right. It was one of the biggest franchises. Right, right. But, and that's the thing. Like, you can, you can say that if we, if we take this huge success and we remaster it, we'll probably sell quite a few. However, if we make and a new game, a it successor? might not. Yeah. Mm. It mm. might not sell as much. It might not be that good of a game, you know. But this one, we know it works and we know it's popular. So mm. just squeeze some more money out of this rock. Yeah. It was one of my first um, CD games mm-hmm. back in 96. It was released in 95 and I got it in 96. For the PC, for DOS, and um, was one of the best things ever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I forgot the name of the game that was actually getting a successor uh, last year. Hmm. Um, it was a robot game, strategy game, oh, I... round-based. What was it again? Something with Earth. Always forget it. I have no idea. Despite despite I played recently, um, let let's have a look in my Steam account. Um, BattleTech. BattleTech. 
Yeah, Battletech is one of such franchises that is like very old. And um, recently, like last year, they made a successor of it. And I have to admit, um, it's awesome. And I actually found out in the news recently that it actually was voted as best PC games of 2018. Really? Yeah. Fascinating. Let's see. It was um, mentioned among the best games of 2018 by the portal Rock Paper Shotgun. Okay. And I have to admit, it's awesome. I like it a lot. I mean, Battletech is one of such things that is around since the 80s. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> I do, I do. I, I believe that I had that on something, and I wasn't fond of it. What, it, what it, on whatever I had it on. Well, it's an around-based strategy game. Yeah. And I have the original for the uh, C64. Okay, that's probably what I had it on, the 64, because that's what I had. It was released in 1988. Yes. Hey, the new Kingdom Hearts is out. Kingdom Hearts? Can yeah. you put me in the picture? What was it again? Kingdom Hearts was a... Weird mashup between um, between Final Fantasy and Disney. Ah, ah, right. So like you're playing this game, and you're like your party members are freaking Donald Duck and Goofy and and stuff, and it's it's real bizarre, but it's actually a well put together game. And the last one was out in 2005, and people have been waiting for the third to come out. In for all that time, and they finally just now released Kingdom Hearts three. Yeah, I saw I saw the promotion video trailer on YouTube just yesterday, and I couldn't quite catch what it was about. But hey, it's it, you you end up going from world to world, and it's all different Disney movie worlds, <clears throat> which is kind of bizarre. And I need to clean this. Nice. Up. Hang on. Why? What's what's wrong? <laughs> Something spilled, and I was watching it creep towards the carpet. So yeah, there's quite a bit happening. Nice. According to People Magazine, um, scientists say they can recreate dinosaurs within the next five years. Really? Yes. That's creepy. This is according to Jack Horner, who is the who is a world-renowned um, paleontologist. <laughs> um. They're not going to be doing it the way that they did it in Jurassic Park. It's going to That's just good. be. It's just going to well, but it's just going to be taking current birds and fiddling with their DNA to make them look Ooh. more like dinosaurs. Ooh. Okay. So we pretty much know how this is going to end. Hopefully, I I'm not in the near to that. <laughs> But yeah, we'll so, so what's what's your opinion actually about um, the Switch turning into a retro gaming platform um, and um, indie games platform? Um, I mean, if you consider that <laughs> two years ago nobody was publishing of the third parties because the hardware was set to be too weak. But that's that's almost a. That that's almost a um, 
a theme with Nintendo things is that the hardware is always a little bit behind. Because I remember the GameCube was a bit behind, and then the Wii was a bit behind, and their their Game Boy was a bit behind because it it wasn't in color. Yeah, I I think that for for the NES wasn't behind. That's and the Super Nintendo neither. I guess those two systems were exceptions. Yeah, in the Nintendo history. Right. Right. Um. Well, uh, eh. when did the NES come out? Um, in in Japan, um, Famicom eighty three, and in USA eighty five. Okay. You look like you lost what you wanted to say. No, no, I was just thinking about what the NES. The NES was basically a sixty five hundred two based machine. Um, similar to the C sixty four in similar. capability, yeah, yeah, similar as far as as yeah, it, it, it was a, a Rico processor, but it had a sixty five hundred two core. So in yeah. in eighty five, that was I, I guess that was still um, still technically current. Although by eighty five, you know there were sixteen bit machines out. The sixty eight thousand was you know the Amiga was a thing and the ST was a thing. So, <clears throat> but um, but in, in concern of uh, video games, you mostly well, had Sega with a Master System. The um, the Mega Drive wouldn't come out until 1988, 89, and ninety right. in in Europe, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right. So. And, and and the the master system was a was a Z eighty a Z eighty, yeah. Um, at, at four megahertz, what was the Nintendo? Um, it doesn't say how fast it was. Either way, um, I, so in, in in that respect, anyway, um, I feel like the Switch would probably be a good platform for retro gaming because it, you don't need the the most hardcore specs to do that sort of thing and, and for for retro themed games there's, like there's a lot of games that have the the pixely graphics and kind of try to emulate that that style that that, that existed in, back in the 80s and early 90s i, I suppose um but then you're saying it's, it's been big for indie games as well yeah that's that true. that surprises me because normally nintendo is pretty has that that iron claw grip on what gets released. You know, they don't want you releasing your independent games. They want you to go through them, kind of. You know, do you remember with the NES, everything had to have the Nintendo seal of approval? You know, unless it was, you know, you had one of those, the the rare, unapproved games that were usually in weird colored cases and stuff. And I can't think of any SNES games that, yeah. The seal of approval is still on the games. Right, okay, so... And that's a Switch game. Yeah. And it's not like... I, I guess there's no real... I, I wonder what the qualifications are to get the seal of approval. Because there are some dogs that made it onto the NES. And you, you gotta wonder, like, like who at Nintendo was looking at these and being like, Oh yeah, this is good. Mm. Or maybe well, they you, just you always to... You always had bad games on the um, older systems as well. I mean, for example, the first version of... Road trash is really trash, uh-huh. you know. 
Well, there's lots of games that are just garbage huh? that that, uh, that came out, and they all had the seal. So I'm just I'm wondering yeah. what the actual. It was kids friendly, but then is, Mortal is that, Kombat is that what it was. Yeah, uh, but then Mortal Kombat wasn't kids friendly, because even on the Game Boy it had um, mortality moves. Hmm. Okay, so it was approval of acceptable content in the manufacturing of official NES game packs. Um, basically, that you weren't doing anything weird, like like Tengen, I guess, could. Which was a Terry. Right. Yeah, could. Um, they were able to circumvent lockout chips on, on, unlicensed games. So basically, you just need to have a license. And then, otherwise, the chips on there would lock you out. I don't know how this works. It's actually interesting because that is what <clears throat> that is what Activision did with Atari. Yeah. And then Atari did the same with Nintendo. Yeah. So I guess probably Isn't you, you just crazy? had to yeah. you just had to pay Nintendo some money to use the seal, and then you were a an official thing, probably. So it didn't mean anything for quality of the game no it's just it just has it just assures you that the product has been evaluated for use with the system and and as a kid as a customer my parents and i we all thought like wow this must be a good game yeah yeah that's what uh, i think that's what most of us thought and then you get some some of these real crappy things and be like wait a minute this is terrible and you know um homebrew things not for the Switch, but for older systems, often have a seal of approval. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A seal of approval mm-hmm. on it. Well, do we have anything else? No. But I have to close this um, gaming page because... I'm getting noise from it, from the advertisement from it. You know what I hate? With the, every damn page I open now, like, throws a thing up there, like, subscribe for updates, or let us go and add to your, your announcements, or some nonsense. And it's like, I just want to read the stupid article. I don't need you to black out the page and pop up a little thing there that I have to X out of again. Mm-hmm. Or, or when you're just looking for something, you just want information, like... Like, you know, how do I set the clock in my car? Or or just give me a quick recipe for how to cook something in the oven. And you go there and there's like an eight-paragraph dissertation on, like, the history of the car manufacturer and all this other stuff before you can actually get to, like, push the left button. This is how you cook? Push the left button? Well, if I'm setting the clock in my car. Okay. Or, or with cooking, you know, again, it's like, all right, how do I cook this in the oven? And it's like, okay, well, the actual instructions are put in the oven at 350, 350 degrees for, you know, 20 minutes. That's all I need. I don't need to read a freaking book about, like, the history of, like, your family's recipe and, and how ovens work and all this other nonsense leading up to just that's information. Just give me <laughs> the information. Information overload. Yeah. Everyone has to write a freaking article. And I guess that there's some... There's some kind of, it has something to do with 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 uh, with search results and and the more words you write or something the more the, the quicker it'll turn up in searches but I I don't care I just want to know what the answer is I don't need to read a thing about it anyway the guru meditation is over there you can't see where I'm pointing because this is an audio podcast but nice they're sitting they're sitting right over there waiting quietly so nice yeah. As if. 
Yes. Before Yerk starts coughing again, let's uh, let's let's cut over to them. So we are here with the Guru Meditation, Bill Winter and Anthony Becker. Welcome to the podcast. What's up, AJ? What's up, Yerk? Great to be here. Finally. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's awesome, nice man. Interview. So. I've been a big fan of yours. I met AJ, you know, at Vintage Computer Festival East, and uh, I think it's just so rad that you guys are still doing a disc magazine, you know, in 2019 now. It's just, it's awesome. And now that you've expanded to Amiga, you guys are rank even higher on my uh, my my, <laughs> my list. It's just awesome work you guys are doing. I know. Well, it's all thanks to the big team we have, you know, like 19 people, and it's um, you can be um, very much creative with with so much people but you are very creative with just two people so you know really it's mostly one i just show up and say a bunch of stuff and then go home <laughs> okay that's that's pretty much my job okay. yeah no we're we're a good team because i uh i have you know the video production skills uh that's what i do for a living and Anthony has got the computer skills. He's an IT professional and also a, a, he's a Commodore historian, basically. I mean, I've never met anyone that knows more about Commodore than, you know, him, except for maybe that people actually work there. <laughs> he yes. knows, you know, so much about it. And, you know, I, I love Amiga. Don't get me wrong. It's been a huge part of my life, but I'm not like an expert. You know, I, I'm an Amiga user. I use Amiga to create artwork, to create graphics. That's that's what I really use Amiga for. And, you know, I like to play some of the new games as well. But, uh, I mean, Anthony is just, like, super knowledgeable about all aspects of Amiga. So the two of us together, you know, make a great team. So how did it all start? Oh, man. Well, Anthony and I met way back in 1989. Uh, we met at the Westchester Amiga User Group. Anthony and I are both from, you know, the same, same town, essentially. And uh, there was a computer store called Software Link in uh, White Plains, New York. It's about 30 miles north of uh, New York City. And there was this user group that met, you know, every month on the first Thursday of every month. And it was it was amazing. This is like pre-internet. The only thing back then were BBSs. Um, yeah, and magazines. The only place you could really get any information. So um, there was this group that met in the local Commodore store called Software Link. And uh, it was and an immediate user group. The local Commodore store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, met, it was underground, literally. It was an underground group. <laughs> it met in the basement of this uh, this Commodore store. Yeah. And it was just awesome because, you know, it was a great way to, to get together with people and, and meet other Amiga users. And you would see, like, what the, the latest software was, what new games that came out. People would demo all different projects that they were doing. And uh, it was just, it was great getting together and just meeting other folks. Then you can keep in touch with them throughout the month. And, uh you know, I made so many friends in that club. I made some of the best friends I've ever had in my life in that club. I still still keep in touch with them today, including Anthony, of course. <laughs> and you know, it was just an amazing uh, it was an amazing resource because if you had questions, if something wasn't working right, chances are there'd be someone at the meeting that could help you out. Or even just to to see what other people were doing. You know, it was you know you had this machine, you had some magazines, you bought some software along with it, but it's like every time you'd go. Well, I, I always tell the story. It's like you would you would go into the store, you would go down the stairs into this dark room. There's just all these people milling about, and like the meeting starts, and you'd you'd always see somebody doing something that you were like, oh, I didn't even know I could do that with this machine. Oh, that's mm. cool. You know, it was just with every meeting, every every show in New York would always broaden, you know, your mind on on what the Amiga could do. 
Yeah, one of the meetings I remember most fondly is our uh, video toaster meeting. It was the first time we'd ever seen a toaster. We were really lucky to get a toaster. It was still an alpha at the time of our demo. And, you know, when when the guy from uh, New Tech brought it to demo it, it was just like, oh, my God, this is this is a game changer. This is this is going to be something that changes video production forever. And it, and it was. And it was so cool to get a sneak peek at it. Mm. Nice. This is like, you know, pre-internet days when you can't just go on YouTube and find, you know, the, whatever things people are doing. I guess that's sort of supplanted it. Well, yeah, I would on. Yeah, I'd say, unfortunately, the Internet's done two things that's brought us closer together because, you know, I wouldn't be talking probably to you two right now since I'm down here in sunny Florida. Sorry to make you envious. Um, But it's also kind of made us further apart because you don't have as many clubs and things. It's just people don't feel the need for it. It doesn't have to fill that space. But uh, I figure things always go in cycles. I think at some point it'll all come back around and, and people will be forming these groups again, just because you want that sort of that more personal than just doing a Google search and watching a video kind of thing. Well, one note about that is just, just so you know, WOG, Westchester Media User Group has been meeting on the first Thursday of every month ever since, you know, 1987. We never stopped meeting and we never will. (laughs) We're still going, man. We had our January 2019 meeting last week and uh, we're still we're still going strong. And actually, we've seen a bit of a resurgence. You know, there was there was the dark ages, man. And like the you know early 2000s when it was just like me, Anthony and two other guys meeting. You know, there wasn't that much stuff going on in Amigo and the Amiga scene. And it was really just like a couple of friends getting together. As a, it was an excuse to see your good friends, you know, every month. But now, you know, thanks to the Internet, thanks to Guru Meditation YouTube channel, uh, it's drawn, you know, new users, new new members to the club. So we actually have about 30 active people in the club now. And we get about seven to 15 members at each meeting, depending, you know, on the, the time of year and who's around that month. So we never stop, man. We never will. We'll, we'll keep it going as, as long as we can. That's nice. pretty amazing, 30 people, because, I mean, I, I don't know about, I, I imagine we're probably about the same the same age. I don't remember ever seeing an Amiga until, I think the first time I saw an Amiga was at um, the Vintage Computer Festival. Oh, wow. When, yeah, the, the, the first one that I went to, uh, you, the ones you had set up were the first time I ever actually saw one in person. That's awesome. I mean, that's the whole reason why Anthony and I do this. You know, Anthony and I just want to, we love Amiga so much, and we just want to, preserve the history of the Amiga. So most of our videos online on YouTube are just about like, you know, an old piece of software that we used to use or an old piece of hardware that we used to use. We just want to like document this stuff. So people who are want to learn about it, you know, have it as a resource, you know, and people hopefully in the future, if YouTube's still around, <laughs> can yeah. still, can, like, it will be like an archive of, of information. And, but, you know, but there's nothing, uh, there's nothing like bringing actual Amigas to a vintage computer festival and letting people, you know, get hands-on experience with it. You know, they could actually like see the CRT, they can see the real Amiga, and they can experience it like we did. You know, back back in the heyday, back in the in the late 80s and early 90s. There's not, we love it. You know, it's so cool. It's really amazing because there's people that come to our uh, exhibits and to our YouTube channel that are, you know, they're old time Amiga guys. And they're like, oh my God, I remember this. This is so cool. And there's other people like you, AJ, who have just never experienced it before and are experiencing it for the first time. And that's something like I never really expected or anticipated, but you're not alone. A lot of people are, are in the same boat as you. Right. You don't kind of think that you could in- introduce people to a 30 year old computer and they'd actually take an interest in it. And this is like a kind of a throwaway society. You got people standing online every single year to get a new phone. 
you know, you got to get a new phone every year and this is a 30 year old computer and, you know, uh, it is people see it and come interested in it is, is I think pretty amazing. It's kind of that, that bastion of, of sanity in my opinion, in, in what's become kind of a bit of an insane world. <laughs> you know, things just move so fast and it's nice to, to kick back with something that is just like being, you know, a teenager or, a, or a 20 year old again. And, you know, you, your whole life ahead of you, the world's ahead of you and you can just sit and throw a disc in the machine and, and, mm. uh, and do some stuff. Well, to me, you look like 25. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I felt 25. <laughs> I got every joint in me cracks. I get up, I sound like castanets. <laughs> <laughs> But I can relate very much to um, preserving history. That's actually the reason why I do all these um, YouTube interviews with pioneers and inventors, you know, to preserve mm. the history. So um, there's something yeah. to be said for the the simpler, older hardware, because like you like you said, we're buying every year we buy a new phone or you know the new laptop comes out every every couple of years. So you got to upgrade. I had. My main machine was a C64, and I had that thing for like like 10 years and never upgraded until finally going to, you know, until it broke essentially, and I had to, you know. And people, I think, forget that a lot of these machines were perfectly serviceable and really still are for a lot of tasks, well, you know, that, that yeah. you know, like I've got, an, I've got an Amiga 500 now, and you can do, you know, basic text editing, and, and you can do a lot of stuff on it that, that you're general current laptop would would handle now but i heard i heard tls encryption is a problem because it needs it needs so much um cpu power i don't know about that is at least what i heard Mm -hmm. oh yeah i kind of lived through the years where you could still do a lot of like web on the amiga and i was actually still i mean long into it i was still using an amiga 1200 to you know, eyebrows, AWeb, Voyager going on the web, and you kind of saw slowly the fact that these browsers and things didn't, couldn't keep, either didn't keep up because they didn't have the teams, didn't have the development, or couldn't keep up because the, the Motorola processors just were too slow, too little memory. You know, you kind of saw it getting away from that. But, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm the same, you know, I say the same thing pretty much. I mean, I used these machines. I mean, I had the 2000 for the longest time. I used my 1200 and a 4000 kind of side by side for the longest time. And now you got to think, I mean, if you're throwing a phone away after a year, it's like that thing's got to still be good. Right. Like like it's it's like we could we could sit and you could you could you could actually form a connection with the thing because you could open it up, you be throwing hardware in there, new boards, new this, a new operating system, upgrading this. It like became almost personal to you, each each machine. And I see that in a lot of the machines I get from people uh-huh. is you open it up and you see the boards they had in there. Oh, this guy had a 386 bridge board and he had a Mac emulator. You know, you could almost see what that person was up to, what that person was doing. It's a very personal thing as opposed to a phone that it's the same brick. It doesn't, you know, unless someone put a sticker on it, you're not, it's not going to look any different from anybody else's phone. All right. I think somebody's sitting on the table or something because we have some disturbance noise. I don't know if you are doing something, Anthony. 
I think I, I think I accidentally smacked the bottom of the desk with my hand. I talk, yeah, because I'm, I'm, because... I'm half Italian. I talk with my hands. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Up in the up in the camera with them. Okay, so no I'll problem. try to. I'm trying to keep them out of the way, and it sometimes bites me. So I'm gonna keep them. Okay. I'll try to keep them still, but I can't promise nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Just nothing I noticed. Um, but but how did you actually start, guys, with the with the computers? I mean, um, how you met, we know now, but but it I guess it started way before that. I wouldn't say. I mean, not that way before that. I mean, I got a Commodore 64 uh, from my parents. And it was, uh, they were going to buy me a computer, and um, this was, uh, this was, this had to be like just before high school. And, uh, you know, so I was looking at every machine. I was looking at the Atari 800. I was looking at the VIC-20. I was looking at every machine, just looking at what they had and what their features were and what their price was, because my parents were only going to spend so much money, you know, my parents, you know, wouldn't just throw money around and... I think I was walking up the stairs to go to up to my room one day and the stairs were right next to the living room and there was a commercial on TV. And I mean, then this, I mean, we all know later Commodore wasn't very good at advertising the Amiga, but this shows the power of, of advertising is it was a Commodore 64 commercial is when they had just lowered the price on it. And I, I stopped on the stairs. I was staring at the TV like, Oh, you know, color sound, Full keyboard. Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go find out more about this machine. So you know, you buy Compute Magazine that was a you know had everything, had every computer in it, so you could really get side by sides. And uh, and I picked the 64, and uh, and I picked it up. Well, my parents picked it up, and I didn't put it down. Um, I used that thing till it died. I got the 128 after that um, to replace it. So that was kind of i had and, and again it's like when you got something you didn't really like there's all this atari commodore war nowadays um and back then i never saw that in war i think it's i think it's kind of just a cheeky thing now we like to poke fun at each other but we all kind of like the same stuff um but back then it's like you, you if you got a computer all your friends chances are they got the same thing so you'd all be able to go to each other's house and you know, and have, you know, and swap stuff and swap what you're doing and everything. So I didn't really know anybody who had an Atari, who had a a TI or, or an Apple or anything until much later, like when I went to college. And so when I was in college, I ran into the friend of mine who had a 64 when I did. And I was over his house all the time. He was over my house all the time. We kind of drifted apart during high school. He went to work. I went to college. And I see him working at a store that sells the Amiga 1000, and he had, he had one. And he's like, "You got to come to my house. You got to see this new machine." And you know, even though I'm getting Commodore magazines, I'm flipping right past the Amiga stuff because I'm I have a Commodore 128. It it just wasn't something I had. It was an expensive machine. He's like, "No, the new machines are coming out. It's going to be a lot cheaper. It's going to be a better machine." You know. And I went to um, I went to Amiga Expo was the might have been this close to the following weekend. It might have been two weeks later. There was an AMI Expo in New York. And I, he's like, you should come to the show and see. And I went to the show and I was just, I was just floored. I mean, they had this guy, the person draw a circle on the screen. And then the guy's like, well, that's not a circle. It's a sphere. And he, you know, hits a few things. He hits a few menus, does, 
you know, ray tracing and, and it's a it's a, a reflective sphere. And I'm like, oh, my Lord, there's an affordable machine that can do this stuff. That's just yeah, I got it. And then and then, you know, my parents are giving me money for food. I was really thin back then because that money <laughs> did not go for food. That money went under the mattress and, and that went to my 500. <laughs> my story is uh, a little bit different. You know, um, it's 100 percent got into computers because of my dad. You know, in 1980, I was five years old and my dad brought home an Atari 800 computer. I didn't know what a computer was. Uh, my dad, you know, he's not like a computer genius by any stretch of the imagination, but he likes tech and he wanted to, he was very excited about uh, the new home computers coming out and he wanted to share it with me. So uh, he brought home this Atari 800 and I was like, what What the heck is this thing, you know? And uh, I, was, I was fascinated by it. And then we started to load up a couple of games. He loaded up like Star Raiders for me and it had uh, some other like really cool uh, like applications about doing, you know, like science experiments. It was some sort of uh, application slash game that let you like mix chemicals together virtually. It was really, really cool. And uh, man, I just, I love that Atari 100. It just, it just got me hooked. I was like, man, these computers are, are, are just awesome. And I just started, my imagination started to like run away with me, you know, and uh, he, he got a 300 baud modem for me with acoustic coupler. So I would like dial into the local BBSs. And uh, we had a cassette tape drive, you know, the 800 came with uh, cartridges. And then eventually we upgraded to a floppy drive, which was a game changer because the games would load so much faster from the floppy disk than the tape drive. And that's where it all started with the 800. I, it was a very magical machine for me. So, yeah. So as far as like the hating Ataris, that's certainly not me. I, I love the Ataris, especially the 8-bits because the 800 was my, my first machine. And then that just got me hooked into, into the hobby. Uh, my dad also brought home like an Apple IIe from uh, from school. He's a teacher. He teaches television and radio production. So his school had a bunch of like Apple computers. So he brought home the IIe, and I got a 2400 baud modem with that one. I would dial into CompuServe and these other like online services. I loved I loved going online. Um, and then eventually uh, he bought me a, a Commodore 64 and loved it 64 as well. Uh, and I'm just like super lucky and thankful that my dad, you know, was so supportive. And he didn't really use the computers that much. Like he did use them. He used them to keep track of his collections. He was a big record collector, being a radio engineer. Uh, so he'd use lots of uh, database programs to keep track of his records and all his different collections. He's got a train collection. So um, he would keep track of all that stuff. And um, so he's always, you know, been super supportive. And that's how, how I got into it. But then, you know, of course, I love games as well. They were nice. Um, they're super fun. When you're a kid, you love games. I still love games now. And I would, back then, you know, you would get get a game and it would come in like a box. And on the back of the box, it would show screenshots of the game on all different platforms. So it would have like Atari 800 screenshot, you know, the Commodore 64 screenshot. And then, you know, in 1985, they started having the screenshot for the Amiga. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, what is this? What is this Amiga thing? I mean, look at the screenshot. The game looks so much better on the Amiga than it does on my Atari 100 or my Commodore 64. <laughs> you know, I want to know more about this Amiga. And I started to read about it. And I was like, oh, wow, this this computer just sounds absolutely awesome. But the 1000, you know, was pretty pricey. Uh, and then in 1987, the Amiga 500 came out and it was much more reasonably priced. And my dad's like, you know what? We got to go check out one of these Amiga 500s. So we went to Software Link, the store in White Plains where Westchester Amiga user group meets. And uh, there was, you know, the Amiga 500 sitting there. 
Uh, I think they had Defender of the Crown up on it, and I was just floored. I was like, oh, my God, this is this is awesome, because I'm a visual guy. So I, I responded like immediately to the incredible graphics that it had. And my dad was like, oh, my God, this, this computer is so cool. Like, we got we to gotta get one of these Amiga 500s. <laughs> so I was lucky enough, and in you know, 1987, under the Christmas tree was a nice Amiga 500 for me. And, uh, and yeah, and that's when I joined the Westchester Amiga user group. Actually, back then it was called Amuse, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, if you want to talk about it, I have Dust Bunker. His father has Dust Basement, Dust Garage, and Dust Barn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dad's got a lot of collections. He's really big into record collecting as well, because like I said, he was uh, an audio engineer for a radio Records, station here in New York. Movies, yeah, trains. Got, and he um, keeps... Yeah, he keeps it all cataloged, you know, on his database, <laughs> and he goes to all these different conventions. He's got a big three-ring binder filled with all of his, his, uh, you know, everything he owns. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's all because of my dad, because he bought me that first computer. But the computer just, um, it, I just like so many different aspects of it. You know, like I said, I love playing games, but at, at the end of the day, I just I love what I can create with it because I'm a creative person. So I I always use the computer like as a as a tool to uh to, to create things that's my that's my real real passion using them as a tool to create things even though i still i love i'm very interested in the way they work and just by the nature of owning a computer and trying to figure out how to do things i've, I've learned about operating systems i've learned about the hardware but the, at the end of the day the, the main thing is you know it's a tool for me to uh to, to express myself and be creative and when your amigas crashed you founded guru meditation <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah so you know when the 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 uh the guys who made amiga have a good sense of humor when uh when you when you crash an amiga all of a sudden the power light starts to flash and like you know it's coming your heart skips a beat because if you didn't save your work you're you're uh, in you're in you're dread. in a lot of trouble yeah it was the dreadful. Dread. <laughs> so the power light would start to flash and then all of a sudden the screen would go black and you're like oh no and then there were this there would be this uh, the sign that popped up. It was a black screen with red lettering and this red rectangle at the top of the screen. It would say uh, software failure, press left mouse button to continue. Then it would say guru meditation number and it would give you a number that indicated like why the machine crashed. And it, it was a notorious, it still is, an infamous <laughs> message. Well, it, was, uh, it was a number that meant absolutely nothing to you. The only thing right. that, that you cared about was that like you just lost whatever it was. And we hated that message back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now it, we did hate that message back then. But, you know, time passes on. And uh, when Anthony and I started the, the YouTube channel, we were just kind of thinking, like, you know, what, what should we call ourselves? And we're silly guys. Like, we don't take ourselves very seriously. And the truth is, like, half the time when we try something, it doesn't work anyway. So we're like, oh, we're just always guru meditating. So we're the, yeah. we're the guru meditation. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, we had that incident recently with trying to do uh, an episode on the chroma key and the chroma key just would not behave. <laughs> so we had it. We had a complete guru meditation day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really frustrating. Um, before Anthony went down to Florida, we, uh, we were banking some episodes, and the chroma key was a device for the Amiga that I still use a lot. I loved it. You know, it was uh, allowed you to superimpose yourself uh, over video, or any you know, um, or um, you could like you know put Amiga graphics underneath video just like today like when you have a blue screen or a green screen back then it was just a blue chroma screen key. for the chroma yeah. key. Yeah. So um, we wanted to do an episode about it. I still have my chroma key and. Man, we loaded in all of our gear, which takes a long time. We loaded it into a TV studio, had it all set up, and unfortunately, the chroma key just just didn't work. <laughs> it couldn't get yeah. it to work. We tried really hard. We got it to almost work. Yeah. I'm on a green screen right now because none of that actually exists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. 
Ignore but, uh, the ignore the stuff behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> so so instead we just uh, packed all the stuff up and went to the bar. Which yeah, <laughs> we hit the bar that day. Yeah. yeah, we hit it hard. But you know, and that the truth of the matter is like we love doing the YouTube channel and all, and it's just great to preserve all the history, which is our primary goal. But the real reason why we do it is just because it's an excuse to for friends to get together. Like you know, like Andy and I just love hanging out. And we always have a blast shooting these episodes, and that's that's what it really comes down to. It's just an excuse to like, hang out with uh, with my best bud. I think the most hysterical thing for me was on because uh, once we shoot the the episode, I, you know, Bill goes off to edit it. I'm not that involved in that part because I I would know what I was doing in the first place, and and that many hands probably spoil the pie. Um, so what I end up seeing is. I end up seeing the episode like like everyone else. I see it when it gets posted, and I think it was the first one where I'm watching it, and then suddenly at the end is the is the outtakes, and I'm like, I can't believe you put that in there, <laughs> and I'm la- I'm laughing at myself because I'm like, oh, I can't believe I said that, you know. That was just, and that's us. I mean, that's the whole time we're doing it is where we're laughing, joking around, having a great time. It's two friends hanging out together, so it's. Yeah, really, it's it's an it's just really an excuse, um, and I think a, a, a decent excuse because we're serving two purposes because we're doing something we like to do, and we're having an excuse to do it because we, I mean, we've each had these machines for a long time, and I'm tapping the table again. I stopped it. <laughs> we uh, we had these machines a long time, and and you know you kind of stop using them, you stop getting them out as much because you have other things to do. You have girlfriends, wives, jobs you know, more family things going on. So you have a lot less time for it. So it kind of gets pushed to the side. So it's like, okay, let's get this stuff out. Let's go look through our stuff and, you know, come up with an idea and okay, let's shoot that. You know, so it's just, it's just a reason, a reason to to still have them because when you have something, you don't use it. Honestly, what's the point in having it? Well said, well said. So, so you guys still, do you use your, your Amigas outside of just sort of, demoing them and 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 testing things out like like do you use them for any creative purpose or anything oh yeah i mean demoing them is is like my my primary thing that i do with it mm-hmm. so we exhibit each year at vcf east which is a vintage computer festival east that happens uh once a year usually in the spring in wall township new jersey it's a great show that's our local show and we uh we exhibit we're like the me guys. We exhibit there. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I've I've also in addition to Guru, I uh, I also stream on Twitch, uh, and I have like a I've got a, it's become a show. I never anticipated becoming a show, <laughs> but it's become it's become like a weekly show where I just kind of show um, I do something with the Amiga. And there's been so many new games and so many new things coming out for the Amiga. Like mm-hmm. literally every week, there's something new to demo. So I enjoy I enjoy uh, busting out my 1200. Or my 500, and uh, showing the folks like what's new in the media community and like what what new game has come out this week. So uh, I do it. That's become like a big a big part of what I do as well. Um, so I, I use it for that, and um, I still I still like I'm really enjoying going back and and learning relearning some of the old software. I I would love you know I love using uh, Deluxe Paint. I love using Art Department Professional, and you know back then when I was 12. 13, 14, 15 years old using this stuff. I hadn't really developed yet. I knew like, I loved art, and but I didn't really know where where it all how it all worked. And you know, time went on, and it turns out that I'm really into photography and video. And now I do cinematography for for a living. So now I like to take all of my experience and you know, 
making photographs and shooting video and seeing like what I can do with the Amiga now. <laughs> so what I, I like to take all like these modern photographs that I've made and convert them to like Amiga format and, and mess around with them and use, you know, use all the artistic skills that I've learned over the years now and see like, okay, like if I had these skills back then, like what could have I done with the Amiga? Cause back then I really, I couldn't do much. I was still trying to figure it all out. <laughs> so I, I love it. And I'm actually, uh, it's, I'm really excited because uh, this Thursday, there's this amazing place in New York City called Baby Castles. They're an art collective. Uh, they specialize in independent arcade, um, in, independent arcade development. But they, they're an art collective. They do all kinds of cool stuff. So I'm going to be presenting uh, with Jason Scott from uh, from textfilesandarchive.org, and I'm going to be showing uh, Deluxe Paint. It's all about words. So I'm going to be showing how to uh, move words around the screen using your Amiga and Deluxe Paint. So mm-hmm. it's going to be really cool, and I'm super excited about it. So uh, I've got some new techniques I want to try out with Deluxe Paint, and uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully, hopefully the folks will enjoy it. Yeah, see, I, I was a different user of the Amiga. I I, I love the art. I love the ray tracing. Uh, I mean, first first three programs, first two, yeah, three programs I bought when I got my 2000 was uh, I bought Turbo Silver, I bought Distant Suns, and I got I got uh, Vista Pro. And, and, you know, I love fiddling around with, I, I mean, I never did anything professional with it, but I loved popping into it. And I kept, I mean, I kept up through like Imagine 5 on Turbo Silver and, and um, you know, I kept updating uh, Vista Pro. I love Vista Pro, just setting a camera somewhere and letting it render a landscape. I thought that was amazing. Like the, the computer can just paint you a picture out of nothing. And, uh, I mean, Distant Suns I loved just because I've always been interested in astronomy and just to be able to kind of have the, the night sky on your screen and what's going to be a visible, all that stuff. It just amazed me. But what I didn't quite realize back then, I think I realized it more looking back. So, and I, and I played a lot of video games, to be honest. That's most of what I did on the Amiga was play all the new video games. I loved playing all the awesome games. I mean, I'd play Settlers till two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning till, I mean, I remember one day the sun was coming up, like the sun was peeking through the window and I was still playing Settlers. Um, they are actually rebooting Settlers. They announced yeah. last year at Gamescom. <laughs> there yeah. will be a Settler reboot. That'll be awesome because I love that game. Yeah. But um, what I, what I realized looking back was, and the other thing that that I did with the machines was just, I mean, I was in that machine every day, and it was the first machine like Commodore sixty four. I like and it's really like a Nintendo. Right. It on you threw a disc in you did, we ran that one thing that game that whatever. When you were done with it, you shut the machine off, you pulled that disc out, you put another disc in it. It had a one one purpose each time you used it. And, you know, except for a few limited things, if you were into programming, you never really just turned on a 64 just to use the 64. And the Amiga, I think, was the first computer where I would just sometimes turn it on. I would never play a game or anything. I'd be loading, you know, a new JPEG data type. I'd be you know, transferring my stuff to a new hard drive. I'd, I'd be updating the OS and throwing, you know, 3.1 on or instead of, you know, uh, up, updating a 3.0 machine. I mean, I had I had 3, 3.9 on my Amiga 2000. I had a CD-ROM burner. I mean, there were times you just turned the Amiga on just to use the machine. And, and I thought that was an amazing different thing. I think it was like the first time on a machine that it was like that. They had that power that you could you could 
you know, you actually had to maintain that that machine. And uh, what got me what got me was that you know, looking at these files now, I they're almost like sometimes a little foreign to me. Like I don't quite like I remember what I used to do, but I don't quite remember exactly how I did it. And I'm kind of like, uh, and, and I was thinking of of, a, of an idea for something is just going back through and reteaching myself everything from the the early one dot X days all the way up through three O on a four thousand or twelve hundred. And so I got my one thousand sitting on my desk right now. Um, ready to go and i think i'm just going to be kind of relearning it from from the early machine the early os just like i I learned it back then and just relearning everything and and i'm hoping to kind of take people on that journey with me whoever wants to watch someone try to try to figure out how to do stuff on these machines yeah because we because i think sometimes we we do get sometimes a, a few questions people like how do i load this thing on there or what do i do with this and you know, especially at the shows like at a at a vcf you get a lot of questions even people who have them and like oh hey i was trying to do this how would i put a compact flash card in my machine so i'd like to right. get just videos up of of all these little things the little things like what's a startup sequence what's a user startup what do you do in there what do you look for in there? what happens when you install a program and suddenly you don't get to workbench you know, what do you do right. to figure out what's wrong? Um, and I used to, I mean, that used to be second nature to me. It mm. was like I could do it in my sleep, and, and now i got to relearn those things. That that muscle memory is not quite there anymore. I've been in Windows too long. <laughs> <clears throat> but but on the other hand, uh, there are also a lot of things that are known nowadays and wasn't known back then. For example, when I was, um, when I was talking to Chris Crick, which was a sound engineer of Epix, he, they had no idea in the early 80s about the difference between NTSC and Paul on the Commodore 64, <laughs> and that is why why winter and summer games would play too slow on European machines, you know. Um, right. I I didn't know anything about PAL NTSC till when I got my 2000. It came with a 1084 monitor, and my friend was like, "Oh man, too bad it didn't come with a 1084s." I'm like, "Why? Well, it's got stereo speakers. Oh, oh, that. Yeah, okay, I can understand. Oh, and it can go into PAL mode. I'm like, "What the hell's PAL mode?" He's <laughs> like, "Oh, that's the European mode. You could be able to play the European games on it if you had a 1084s." Luckily, um, and it's it's a fun story about my 1084 monitor. Um, I was in Distant Suns, and I had just changed what it was going to display on the screen. So it's starting to redraw the night sky, and I hear a loud bang, the screen shakes, and goes dead. I think I think I had the monitor a week, and uh, and and I I was the happiest person with a dead 1084 monitor because when I went back to the shop, I'm like, can I can I give you some money for the price difference and get an S instead? <laughs> and, and I walked home with 1084s instead of a 1084. And I was I was the happiest person to have a monitor die on an Amiga. <laughs> I think my first experience with PAL was booting up a game, and for some reason the controls at the bottom of the screen were not visible. And I was like, "What's <laughs> wrong with this game? I think my Amiga's broken or the game's broken. Like, I don't understand what's going on." And then figured out that you know PAL's got extra extra lines, extra horizontal so you, lines. So you, there were you 20. Fiddle, 
You so, fill um, that vertical hole to try to see as much of them as you could. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a minute, pal. Oh, they have something different in Europe? This is so weird. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, got myself a pal booter and uh, fixed fixed that problem on my 2000. <laughs> so that was that was cool. And then my other experience with pal was like, on the, the first time I went to to Europe, I went to Poland to visit my wife's family, and the um, it was we were still back when there were CRT. Everyone had like a CRT in their living room. The flat screens haven't caught on yet, but the uh, the extra resolution and the 25 frames per second was just like heavenly for me because as a filmmaker, you know, like 24 frames per second is the holy grail. It just looks all cinematic, and then here we had 30 frames per second, and it just didn't never looked right. But then when I went to went to Europe, and I was like, wow, it's like 25 frames per second. It's so much closer to film, and the extra lines of resolution look so much better. I was like, oh, this is this is awesome. Why don't we have PAL? Here we have NTSC, never the same color. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So yeah, that was my first PAL experience. And and on the Amiga, they they the it doesn't work quite the same. Like with the 64, if it's not NTSC fixed, it just plays weird. It might play at the wrong speed, but it may also be jittery or have all kinds of artifacts and weird. Or even crash. With Amiga, a lot of mm. yeah, Amiga it, it might crash, but it also like you said, it'll just kind of put the bottom of the screen off the screen because there's more because it. it PAL pixels are square and our pixels are, you know, rectangles for some inexplicable reason. Yeah, and there's more of them as well on PAL. So it's just like it just would just bleed off the bottom of the screen. Yeah. You had no no chance of seeing some really important stuff. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah, being... Your health uh, meter was down there. You you were really hurting. <laughs> yeah, I remember being younger before I knew about PAL and TSC and looking at pictures and I couldn't figure out why people can never draw a circle. <laughs> it would always be like like an ellipse you know they they draw like the sun or something and it's a, an ellipse i'm like what's wrong with people why they can't they do this well, oh I they, I, they are I, doing I, it just in pal that's <laughs> funny it's like this well now you know what like i said I was, i'm trying to use my amiga for more modern applications and that's one of the things i have to deal with like if i capture an image with dc tv that it's got rectangular pixels so when you bring it into a, onto a modern computer it uses square pixels so mm-hmm. everyone gains you know about 15 pounds and you have to correct for it <laughs> make everyone look normal again <laughs> i went i actually went to an arts and science college it's not strictly speaking an amiga story but it's a fun commodore story so i didn't want to bring my 64 with me because back then i mean nowadays the 64 is like you could you could trip over one walking down the street um, but back then, like my 64 was like, that's valuable to me. I'm not bringing that to college. I don't want it to get stolen. So I got a plus four. Oh. And I was taking for distribution of drawing and painting class. And we had to take something that was commonplace and draw it in such a way that it didn't look quite like not realistic. So I'm looking around the room. I'm looking around the room like, what can I draw? What can I draw? What can I draw? And I, I'm just, there's my plus four sitting there on the desk. And I'm like, oh, I'll draw, like I'll get really close in there on the keyboard. So I'm drawing the keys. I'm drawing the keys. I'm drawing the keys. I'm drawing the keys now. There was a reason why I'm not an artist. Um, that's because when I hang it up on the wall and the teacher's going down the, the paintings and the, the drawings and he looks, looks at mine and he goes, oh, look at this. Look at what this person did. They took something, a keyboard that's a regular thing. Everything's even, regular. And look how it's just got this flow to it. It's got a flow to it because I can't draw a straight line. (laughs) 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 And I'm just sitting there like, oh, yes, yes, I'm a genius. I'm a genius. (laughs) That's why I never got into art. See, if I had an Amiga back then, it probably would have helped me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. Um... So you you gained quite some fame with your shows and 
that guru meditation thing. You are pretty active. Well, I think the crazy thing was, I don't think we thought much about it until Bill had the idea of let's do a video of us like getting our stuff ready for VCF East. We're going to go to VCF East like next week. Let's let's throw up a video. So, you know, we do just a wacky little video of us getting our stuff together. And I think that's the one where I, I bench press the Amiga 2000 or something. I don't remember. It might have been that one or might have been the next one. But, you know, I'm, we're always doing something a little wacky in it. And when we show up at VCF, people are like, you know, normally you go to VCF, you're setting up. People aren't really talking much. Everyone's doing their thing. They're getting their cable set up. And people are like, oh, hey, hi. <laughs> like, yeah what the <laughs> and it's they everyone had seen this video because i apparently did the, the guy setting up the show sent something out about it or something and i just think everybody saw this video so everyone was like wow that was a great idea it's great video and it was just like people are actually watching our stuff yeah it's, yeah, yeah fame, fame might be a strong word <laughs> yeah but big um, fish in a but, little pond i think we might actually be little fish in a little pond i don't know <laughs> but um yeah but it's just been cool man like anthony and i we don't do it to be whatever like popular or anything we just do it because it's fun and we we, we like to hang out like if we really wanted to be like popular we would do other things besides amiga but we don't really care. We love Amigas. So that's what we do. And, you know, we would also like be like feeding the YouTube algorithm because that's like that's a big part of it. <laughs> that's a really big part of it. And we don't really care. We just kind of make a video whenever we feel like it and whenever we want to, which is the complete wrong way to do it if you want to gain a lot of followers. But we don't care. We just want to have fun with it and do our own thing. <laughs> and and whoever whoever finds us and enjoys it is that's just awesome. We, we love it. But, it, you know, it's definitely like. More definitely more has come from it than I ever expected. I mean, one of the one of the really amazing things was uh, getting flown down to uh, Georgia for Vintage Computer Festival Southeast. We were on this. Uh, the, we did a, a keynote session with uh, Zach Weddington, the director of Viva Amiga, and Trevor Dickinson, uh, who you know we all know Trevor Dickinson from Aeon, creator of the the um, next generation Amiga X5000. Um, Glenn Keller was also on the panel who created the oh, Paula chip, yeah. which is the sound chip in the, in the Amiga. So there was like, we're like, wow, like, what are we doing? Like on the stage with these guys, like, this is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So meeting that Dave was, Pleasance. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Dave Pleasance, you know, making videos for, for friends, his, um, his new company that he's, uh, he's working with. So, you know, we never, never imagined that it would lead to, to so many things, you know, yeah. and that's really, that's all we care about. Like, I, I, you know, as a filmmaker myself, like I, I find it a little bit disturbing these days how people kind of like judge you based on the amount of likes you get or the amount of views you get or the amount of subscribers you get. It's a little bit strange because I see lots of people in videos with lots of subscribers or lots of views and, and the videos are either not good or very like disrespectful or they're just kind of crappy. And meanwhile, there's other videos and other people who are making like really quality stuff that don't have a lot of subscribers or don't have a lot of views, but they they really hit home with me and I could tell that the person who made it had a lot of passion and a lot of skill and a lot of talent. So you just kind of like the numbers are just numbers, man. <laughs> like, right. and I don't really care about them. Like, and then right. when it comes to the guru, like I said, it's an excuse for me and my friend to hang out and, you know, and share, share our fun and our, of our hobby, you know, with other people. And, uh, it's just been awesome. <laughs> yeah. Right. And we, is... we know we're in a niche little niche market here and, you know, it's only going to be so popular. And so that's, I think, if we did it for that, we'd probably be 
you know, unhappy most of the time. <laughs> it's that we're doing it for a different reason. It's just, again, like, like uh, I mean, Bill was down here in Florida, um, and I drove three hours each direction just to go have dinner with him. I mean, that's 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 how much we like hanging out. Uh, I thought it was going to be two hours each direction, but <laughs> it was three. I drove from one coast to the other, so I drove across the entire state. Um, that's that's what we'll, you know, it's just that's we we just enjoy it, and so and so of course we enjoy doing the videos. So, like I said, I mean, I think I think if no one at all watched them, we'd probably be a little bit like, why are we bothering? But you know that some people are watching them, like we wouldn't care if it even if just the people in Wog watched them. Like even just those two other guys who went to Wog, as long as somebody was watching, you know, uh, I think we we're more than happy, you know, doing them just for ourselves and that little tiny group of people. Yeah, and I, I feel like they do have a, a certain. Um, you were talking about having to go back and relearn a lot of this stuff. Um, I, I feel like the videos are also really useful for people that uh, don't really know the machine. Like I just. I got my first Amiga, you know, a year or two ago, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And so a lot of it comes down to watching watching videos, a lot of your videos, to try to figure out, like, what am I doing with this? What can I do with it? And how do I how do I set it up? And and and, and that's the kind of thing that that you show a lot of is 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 how you manage to do this stuff. So it's like if I if I wanted to get one of these things, you know, the 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 chroma key or you know whatever it was called like this is kind of a walkthrough on how to do it when there's really documentation wouldn't even help because i don't know how the machine works that's awesome that's really great to hear you know we that's uh it's nice that people are actually our videos are actually helpful <laughs> yeah uh, so that's, that's oh, yeah. really awesome to hear and you know and like you know at the end of the day like i i wish we could make more videos like i, w I would love to make more videos it, it's just these videos take a lot of time, so I and I never want to feel his like, time. Yeah, <laughs> they take a massive amount of time, and you know I've got a job and a wife, so it's hard to to balance it all out. Um, so I would I wish I could make more videos, but the bottom line is like Anthony and I are in it for for the long term. You know, we made our first video back in 1997 at the Trenton Computer Festival. That was like really the first like Guru Meditation video, and we've been making videos ever since. Um, you know, so we're, we're, no, we're not going to be pumping out a video every week or multiple videos a week to feed that YouTube algorithm. But you know what? Like 10, 15, 20 years from now, if, if we're still here, we'll probably still be making videos. So oh, <laughs> we're, yeah. in it, we're in it for oh, the yeah. long haul. <laughs> we're not going to get burned out. We're just going to keep it going and we'll do more, hopefully, quality versus quantity. Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, there's so many different pieces of hardware, pieces of software. I don't think you could ever really run out of material. Because there's just so many different little niche things. Like I, I mean, I picked up a a controller for a laser light show that hooks up to an Amiga 1000. Like who, whoever even thought there was hardware like that? It's like he's. It's just so. And it's like okay, well, at some point I've never, I've never plugged this thing in. Um, I'm almost a little scared to. But at some point I'm going to plug it in, and and I'm going to plug it in when Bill has the camera on it, because. Mm -hmm. You know that's the cool reason to do it, and and let's get let's get some video of us trying to figure this thing out, and, you know, figure out different things. The device that broke my Amiga. 
<laughs> well, <and> that, <laughs> that could quite possibly be the case. <laughs> as, long as, we capture, as long as we capture it on video. Right. That, yeah. that's, why I, that's why I got three 1,000s to safety in other people's hands so that, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the like the Berlin airlift uh, to get them <laughs> rescued, so that they they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't be suffering. And uh, I still don't know which one's going to be the guinea pig for that device. <laughs> it's got I mean, it's, got... its own power supply. <laughs> yeah. I got, it's really interesting though because the the whole thing with the the YouTube channel is I guess it's helped me like outside of Amiga as well. I guess helped me in life because. I gotta tell you, I, I spent I've spent my entire life behind the camera, so I never really had a, a perspective on what it's like to be in front of the camera. And I'll never forget, like the first time we did a Guru video, and I was there, like unboxing this 1200 that I just got from my friend Pierre. Like it was it was rough, man. Like it was I was like, oh my god, like this YouTube thing is terrible. Like uh, I, I'm people are gonna hate this video. I'm I'm awful <laughs> on camera, and I was. <laughs> but by doing the videos on Guru Meditation and by doing these live streams, it's really helped me. Like communicate in life, you know. Like I've I've analyzed myself. I've analyzed the way I talk. I see. I still have like a lot of improvement to make, but I can now communicate with my clients better. When I do pitches to ad agencies, I have a lot more confidence. And it sounds crazy, but I actually like channel the the things I've learned by being on camera for Guru Meditation, and it's it's really helped me communicate a lot and sort of like come out of my shell. So I don't necessarily need to hide behind the camera anymore. I know that that there's people out there who can who are willing to listen to me and. I, I'm used to like watching myself now in the edit room, so I learn how to communicate more clearly and and better. So it's it's really neat that it's, it's helped me like in in the real world, <laughs> in real life as well as just you know my hobby. So that's been that's been really nice. And I got you know just want to say like thanks to like of course all of our viewers, but you know anyone that goes out and like makes a YouTube video or makes a podcast, like it's kind of scary. Because people on the internet can be can be really rough and can be really mean. So anyone that's yeah. like doing this and trying to keep this uh, these these old machines alive, whether it's with a YouTube channel or a Twitch stream or a podcast, like I, I give you two two <laughs> thumbs up, man. Like a big pat on the back because it takes a lot of work and a lot of courage to do it because it's not easy stepping in front of that camera, putting yourself out there, regardless of what you're doing, man. It's it's not easy at all, and it takes it takes courage and practice. Well, and and I hate to I hate to bring the energy down, but I think it is worth saying is uh, there's a lot of negativity on the internet. Anything you do, no matter how good it is, you could cure cancer and figure out how to make people live 700 years. Someone's gonna write a nasty comment under that video. <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's and I think it's probably if you allow yourself to to take some of that to heart you're going to get discouraged very quickly so i would say to anybody who's who's doing something whatever you're doing is worthwhile i don't care what you're doing even if you're just you know shooting video of yourself trying you know playing ball with your cat you know what um you know you just gotta just uh, ignore the best thing is just to ignore and, and don't let stuff like that get to you and just do what you want and and you know let other people figure themselves out if they wanna if they wanna be negative all the time you're, you're not gonna change them so don't get into an argument with them that's the worst thing you could probably do is you just if you just ignore it chances are they'll go they'll go piss on someone else's video. Well, the thing is, the thing is, there's a lot of bullshit going on. I know our editor um, Kevin Castiles, um, 
he reviewed in a video the Z64 Reloaded, and somebody wrote a comment on it, no, like, no, it's a mainboard, it's not a motherboard, because no. if it was so, a so motherboard, I mean, yeah. it would have um, other boards connected to it. Mm. Then it's a motherboard, otherwise it's a mainboard. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm an IT professional myself, I work in this business, and I know this is not true. The mainboard and motherboard is the exact same thing, it's just a different word. Well, but yeah. even even if you're going to go by that argument, then any cartridge you plug into it is a daughter board, because that's right. basically it's a little little tiny board yeah. in a cartridge. So, yeah. so 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 I said it's it's bullshit, but but you know about tr try try to train a troll, you know, um, you cannot you cannot uh, teach them. It's seriously um, some people just thing. like to be pedantic and oh, you know yeah. any tiny flaw in anything you do, and, and you know really or. or or another example, just to complete it, was um, Ralph Baer interview. Peop one person was asking, so why is there no day known where the Magnivox was released? The exact day. I was like, because nobody wrote it down in history back then. Nobody cared. I'm like, that cannot be. The info must be available somewhere. I'm like, well, if nobody recorded it, where do you get this uh, information from? Ralph Baer is dead. You cannot get this information anymore, and then it's like, nah, this can't be. You are just doing review, re, uh, you're just doing bad research. You didn't search long enough. I'm like, well, it's the same like boxes when people put uh, put package tape over boxes. You know, nobody would do this nowadays because we know the boxes are worth it. But back in the days, you wouldn't know this thing was was worth something, or nobody thought about it that somebody like 50 years later would want to know the exact date the Magnavox was released. So it's just, it just bullshit sometimes, you know? Right. These, these were just, I mean, to the companies, these were just products. These were just right. another product. They were going to have another product to replace it next year. I mean, if you talk to the engineers, the, they were working. And you, you kind of see, like, a lot of the engineers, and it's amazing that we've gotten to talk to a few um, and even had a few dropped on us. I, I want to inter interject. My my favorite ever video that that you did was when you're taking apart an A4000 and you're like, I don't know why they did it like this. And then Bill Hurd pops up and he's like, Yeah, you want to tell it Can to this guy? He designed it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I but I thought the best the best and I watch that video a lot and I, I show a lot, that video to a lot of people. It's one of my favorites. Um, that and 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 the video going down in my own basement, which I should be embarrassed of, but um, I, I I do love showing those those videos. But what the best thing was him just his answer. He's just standing there going, "Well, they're wrong." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just the best answer I think he could have given to anything. And he's like, "Well, I don't really remember." And and it's we see it with them and you figure you figure i mean we love this machine you figure all oh, the engineers would be like even super into it but you know to them this this was a product they were working on this yeah, was their job, job yeah. and and after they were done with that product they were they were moving on to the next product i mean i was floored that he was he was looking in that machine to find his initials like he hadn't seen those initials on that board in person in a number of years and he was right. he was actually excited and looking to see where the initials were. It's you know it's you can even that you can even bring back excitement to the person who designed the machine is 
is pretty amazing. And we had we had a similar thing with uh, with the woman who wrote Music Mouse, the program. And uh, and I knew we were going to meet her. And so I'm kind of thinking, well, what can I do? What can I do? And I, I what I did is I threw the Amiga emulator on my Android tablet and I threw her program on it. And I was I was standing there chatting with her and I say, oh, take a look at this. And she was like, oh, my God, how did you get my program on that tablet? That's my program. How did you get it on there? You, you can really do that? She was amazed. And and uh, it's just that you can bring amazement to these people who I think did <clears throat> much more amazing things than I do. I mean, she wrote Music Mouse. I mean, that program mm-hmm. is incredible. <laughs> I mean, even to this day, that program is amazing. And, and that you can you can impress that person with something so simple is like wow, it, it really is a game changer. And, and that's an, just another like reason to love doing this kind of stuff, to love <laughs> like playing around with this kind of stuff. Right. Just circling back though to the the incident that you guys were talking about for anyone that hasn't seen the video. Um, and so we were at Vintage Computer Festival East, and on the Friday, uh, the Vintage Computer Festival East is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Friday is all. A day of classes and lectures. So Anthony was giving this like very basic um, Amiga repair class. Like, hey, you you know you pulled your Amiga out of the closet after being there for for 20 years. You know, like what what are the first things you should do to to kind of bring it back to life? And he had an Amiga 4000 there that wasn't working, and he was complaining uh, about the capacitors, the way the capacitors uh, were were installed on the machine. He was saying that. They, uh, they were installed backwards. And in the room was uh, Bill Hurd, who's at Vintage Computer Festival East every year, and he's designer of the Commodore 128. And all of a sudden, like, Bill Hurd, you know, like, runs out of the room. Like, he just vanishes from Anthony's class. Um, and then uh, he comes back in with this really large man. <laughs> and wearing, wearing, and, like, and, yeah, <laughs> wearing and a, a Commodore huge, T-shirt. A with huge a, grin on his face. <laughs> yeah. He, he was a very large man with a big grin on his face, and then uh, and Bill heard like you know raised his hands like excuse me Anthony you know like what were you saying about those capacitors and, and he's like oh yeah they weren't good they were installed backwards and then all of a sudden you hear the big guy like in his very deep voice saying what are you saying about my machine <laughs> it turns out he went and he he grabbed Greg Berlin one of the main designers of the Amiga 4000 to come into the room and <laughs> and 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 Anthony uh you know I'm sure he had to change his underwear after after the class cuz you know I, here we are like Anthony and I are just fans Anthony Anthony is like as like I said before he's a Commodore genius, but at the end of the day, I keep, we're just fans. We're users. Meanwhile, the, like the two guys, you know, the guy who designed the Commodore 128 and the guy who designed the Amiga 4000 are like right there in the room. And it's like, how how are we supposed to, you know, give out good information when those two are in the room? You know, <laughs> it was just one of those moments that you could never plan. It was it was uh, it was quite remarkable. And then of course, it turns out that Greg Berlin is like the nicest guy in the universe, and he was like so excited to talk to Anthony and see his 4000 and like Anthony was saying looking for his initials on the motherboard because all the engineers and designers put their initials on the motherboard which is really cool <laughs> but it's also so. kind of amazing that you actually have a person who designed the machine is there with you trying to diagnose what's wrong with it and he reached in at one point the machine's on and he reaches in and just starts pushing down on the motherboard with his finger while it's on like pressing down on it and uh, well well first of all of course as Bill said, I mean, that was a real like when he was dropped on me, um, that was that was the Ralph Cramden hamina 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 moment. <laughs> and now I'm standing there and this guy is leaning over the machine because he's he's super tall and he's pushing on the motherboard. And anybody else, I'd be like, what the hell are you doing? Get away from my machine. Are you nuts? And I, I, I literally almost did. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. This guy is Greg Berlin. He, he designed this thing. He 
probably touched more four thousands than I have. I think I should I should let him let him do what he's doing. Like, what's the worst he can do? And I think that was the first time we also kind of broke out of just being Bill and me. And that was again. I mean, a lot of things have come from just Bill pushing me because I'm the same way. I'm I'm not super comfortable talking in front of people. And um, I've had a few things besides guru meditation that have got started to get me out of that. But the Bill's like, we should see if he'll do an interview. We should see if he'll do an interview. And I'm like, I've never asked anyone to do an interview. How do I even ask someone to do an interview? Like, I'm not comfortable doing this. But it's like email. Here's our only opportunity. I mean, he's standing right there. It's like this is like such a golden opportunity to let it slip through your fingers because you're uncomfortable. I'd probably look back on that day and always regret it. So I'm like, finally, I go up to him and I'm I probably I probably sounded like some six year old in, you know, at elementary school trying to ask for, you know, an extra bottle of paint or something. I'm like, uh, would you like to could, would you think? Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, it's no big deal. You know, why are you so uptight about it? I'm not. <laughs> and and yeah, that was, I think, our first interview. And and it's like, again, it's just made me like impressed in what with what I can actually accomplish sometimes you have to promise me one thing because you 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 mentioned both before that you like to be recognized and ha has this problem and he's recognized <laughs> on the show like oh scene world ha from scene world he's oh, like no please get away get away so you have to you have to teach ha how to get comfortable with being known Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's like you know, when you put so much work and effort into it, it's just nice to get a little recognition. You know, it's just H-A-H- people appreciate it. It's so I, I don't I it's cool, but it's not why we do it. it. It just feels good, you know, when when something like that happens, knowing that people you know appreciate all the time and effort you see, put into H-A-H- something. That's the way. That's the yeah, way see, how to look at. See, it's it's a very it's a it's a strange um sensation because like the part I still have a problem with is uh, like self self promotion. I, I don't yes. like, like after after we make a video like I. I feel awkward like posting it, you know, to like in like a social media group or a Facebook group. I just I'm like, man, like, I don't know. I just I still have to get over that. I don't like to be, feel like I don't want to be like that guy who's like right. self-promoting himself. Fortunately, now oh, yeah. we have oh, enough, yeah. enough followers where we can <laughs> talking about <laughs> his darn totally YouTube different. videos. <laughs> yeah, you know, totally different. I'm like, if, if we did something like look at this scene world produce something again, I'm yeah, happy Eric about everything. No problem with that. I have I I'm happy about everything we publish. If it's Andrew's un, unboxing videos, AJ drilling a hole into a case or something, I I, lo- I love that. I love that. Spe- I love speaking of that, there there is a huge amount of interaction now with Commodore's designers and their their stuff. You know, I I drilled a hole in my 128 like an idiot and broke it because you I was impatient. It, actually, <laughs> yes, I, I did. I did. But but. Also at VCF East, um, I'm sitting there. And I'm like, well, Bill Hurd's standing right there. He designed the thing. Why don't I ask him? You know, and it's like it's it's so weird to have like this these personalities that you've you've heard of. You know, you you do the 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 um, the sys command on the 128, and you know the names pop up or, or whatever that is. Like you've you've heard of these people before, and they're standing here. Like you can actually. You know, I think I'm a Facebook friend. Like, I can just send the dude a message, and it just blows my mind at this point that there's such a such an interaction with the original designers and the people that were behind this now. Oh, yeah, yeah, big time. I mean, yeah, like like Anthony was saying, like it was just so, 
wild that, you know, here in walks in Greg Berlin, you know, designer of the 4000, and he's just as excited to see the machine as Anthony, and we have access to these people, and then, you know, we've gotten to know them now, and even, you know, Glenn Keller, designer of the Polo Chip, it's like, we're just sitting there having a beer, I'm like, this is the guy that designed, like, the Polo Chip, and he's, like, the nicest guy in the world, it's, and mm-hmm. we have can call him up anytime we want, it's pretty, pretty amazing, and I think the reverse is also true, I think they're also getting a blast out of us, you know, all the people who create content in, like, the retro community, they're like, oh my god, like, I made this machine, you know, 30 years ago, I thought people forgot about it, and now there's all these people who actually lo- still love this machine and really appreciate my work. So I think I think it does go both ways as well. Yeah, I know yeah, they I, say that like they really developed these machines expecting at most a five year lifespan on them. So you you can see that they're pretty amazed and pretty stoked that something they designed 30 years ago, people still using them and enjoying them. Like they never, again, it, it was a product and and. You know, I don't imagine like that we see that time again right now, at least in computers, because it's it's kind of become a, a throwaway thing. You know, you couldn't afford to throw these machines away. So the machine they built, figuring you'd use it for five years, you know, you were still, like you said, with your 64, you were still using it, what, like 10 years later, you were still using the thing. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see the names of the designers and engineers, you know, on your iPhone or your latest Android device, you know. Like, well, designing even, California, isn't that yeah. good enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like the original Mac had, you know, everyone's names on the inside cover. Of course, the Amiga 1000, you know, inside cover, J Minor, even had Mitchie, his dog's paw print. You know, there was mm-hmm. a lot of personality put into these machines and the personality of the designers were in those machines. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of passion and love in those machines. And now, mm-hmm. now it's just more of a disposable throwaway product right yeah. what's your opinion about the remade uh, computers like the c128 uh, remastered that is actually right now on pre-order for example um or or let's for example remember the c64 mini where a lot of people say that's warpaware until i see it in real now there are a lot of negativity against people who redesign those old machines but i think yeah. at some point in 30 years less and less old machines will still work so you only have the chance of emulation or the redesigned reproduced machines well, at least I from can't... my point of view I... well i have a uh, i picked up the 64 ultimate board and you know i just think that it sits in the original case that it has ports that all go like out the original holes. You're on the original keyboard. And yeah, a lot of people are going to say, oh, that's not like using a 64, that you can have like all, every program ever made for the 64 on an SD card available to you instantly. Um, I think it's the most amazing thing. Like I wish, I I didn't know about the 128 one. Now I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, because these things aren't getting any younger. And I mean, we all thought, Like, I know when I started collecting, I I always thought, well, and I really picked them up to have a spare machine, figuring, well, the machine I use is going to die at some point, and then I'll have a spare that's sitting in 